listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. All right, so uh, last week we started a new series uh, that I've been calling uh, Prophets, Heroes, and Kings. And for those that were not here for last week's sermon, if you remember, we discussed the rise of a child named Samuel and that was given by his mom to the Lord as a child to serve in the temple at a time when there was so much corruption in the Jewish nation, even among their leaders, even among their spiritual leaders, primarily with Eli the priest and his sons, who were stealing meat that was intended to be sacrificed to God and even sleeping with the ladies that were serving in the temple and word got out. And then the young boy Samuel gets this message from God saying that God had had enough of this and he was about to clean house. Not just clean house for Eli and them, but clean house in all of Israel. So this is where it, we left off and this is where we're going to start today. So let's read our first passage today and get right into it. Uh, we will go through all these today, but we're not going to read that right now. So uh, let me just hit the first passage to kind of set the scene for the story today. It says this in 1 Samuel 4, 1 through 21. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel, basically meaning what God had told Samuel was now out, everybody, public knowledge. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. Philistines had always been an enemy of the Israelites, and they encamped at Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped at Apek. And the Philistines drew up in line against the Israel, and the battle spread. Israel was defeated for the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. When the people that came to camp, the elders of Israel saying, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? They've got an idea now. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may be among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherub. And the two sons of Eli, that's the priest we've been talking about, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, uh, let us see today what you'd have us to see from your word. Uh, not just the knowledge of it, not just the content, but may your person shine through. May, we, may the heart of who you are, embodied in your Son, warm our hearts. Help us understand what you'd have us to see, not just of something to do in relation to actions, but something to draw us close to a deeper relationship with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, maybe you've heard about this uh, before in the Bible, but uh, a lot of you have heard about it uh, through an obvious movie that dealt with it. Uh, the, in 1981, you had this blockbuster movie that came out with a team of Steven Spielberg and, and George Lucas, and they released the great movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's all about the Ark of the Covenant. So the fictional story uh, is, is one thing, the, the real story is the other. This is something that God had the Israelites build 
to remind them of the presence of God that symbolized that he was there with his people. And, and you can look up pictures online of what, what people have kind of drawn art-wise by way of what it looks like. Uh, there was, it's covered in gold. There's, a, there's cherubim on the, 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 uh, um, on the top of it. Inside is a, the uh, several uh, religious things that were very important to the Jewish people, like the Ten Commandments. And this is what you had. And so in the fictional story, in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, it went like this. So the Nazis discover the hiding place, they say, for the long lost Ark of the Covenant. For years, people don't, they didn't know where the Covenant was, was where it was. But in this fictional story, the chest, it's the chest that the Bible talked about, we just talked about, and it represented the, the presence of God for the Jews. So the American government enlists the aid of archaeologists Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, obviously, to recover the ark because they don't want it to fall into the hands of the Nazis. And that story caught a lot of attention, especially in young boys like me back then. And it was a great movie uh, as far as the, way the movie was put together. But what I didn't realize is how accurately the film depicted both the ark and the idea of it and the human motivation that's always in to possess the ark, or maybe more so, the power of the ark to gain control over their enemies. And we see it right here in this passage. See, the movie, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, is a fictional story, but it's the true story that actually exposes the human heart, all of our thirst, and we're going to see this today, all of our thirst for power and control up against the true power of God, which is absolute power. Later in the movie, Indiana Jones, he talks to this French archaeologist who's working for the Nazis. And the French archaeologist, archaeologist tries to tell Indiana Jones why he's seeking the ark. Indiana Jones is like, why are you even seeking the ark? You're not even Jewish. And he said, it's a radio for speaking directly to God, and it's within my reach. So here you have it. This power and desire for control of our lives and the world summed up in one thought. If I just had this, and this is what Israel's saying, and we do this today, and we're about to talk about that. Power and control of our lives or the world, something wonderful. If I just had the power of God in my life, I can make it right. I can get what I want and fix those things or those people around me. But is that true? Our, our passengers today are going to shed some light on that. So we're going to look at three points. Those three points are in the order of worship. Uh, we're going to talk about the defeat of the Israelites. We're going to talk about the loss of the ark. They're about to lose the ark. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the departure of God's glory. So let's talk about those today. We just read this section here where the Philistines had uh, came up once again to attack the Israelites. They always wanted uh, they were you know they always wanted to come in and take over the Israelites and take over what possessions they have in the land. This is a constant battle that goes on here for a while between the Israelites and the Philistines. The Philistines were brutal people. They were barbarians. Uh, and so they go out against them. And they, these uh, Philistines are kind of warlords. And Israel goes out and they line up against them and they get defeated. They're like, why did God allow this to happen? Aren't we God's people? And so they say, okay, let's go and get the ark. God's always there with the ark. We can take it out, win the battle, all be done. Then we see what happens. See, last week we got the inside scoop on Samuel's ministry and Eli's sons and the corruption that was happening there. And now it just all went public. Like the word is out. It says the word of the Lord came to all of Israel. But what we have here in this section 
is the preoccupation of seizing the ultimate prize that put power and control over our hands. It's the same motivation we see in the start of the story. See, the Israelites go to battle, they're defeated, and you notice it says, and then they sent for the ark. Not pursuing the ark first, not pursuing the presence of God first. It says, they went into battle, they were defeated, last resort, let's use the things that God has given us. So the ark in their mind had become some kind of talisman, like some kind of lucky charm for them. And they have heard that it gave great power to their ancestors that believed in God in the past. And now the Israelites view the Ark of the Covenant as some kind of secret weapon, like a guarantee of success. But here's the thing, and they, they get humiliated here. Here's the thing. They forgot that the Ark was not about power, and it never was in the Bible. That it was about presence. About the presence of God. The Ark was a visible reminder of a special relationship that God had with the people. There was no magic inside of it. There was no magic in the Ten Commandments that were in there as tabulous. See, God never meant it to be a magical object of power. He meant it to be a reminder of his presence. See, the relationship with God the Father must be understood just like that. We talk about this all the time at our church. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. What's most important that we get from God is not the power of God that he gives us to do certain things or the knowledge of God that we have to be able to make good decisions. That's not the most important thing. God shows us again and again. It's about knowing him. It's the person himself that we get a relationship with. The ancient Israelites had forgotten about knowing God and they were more interested in what you can call magic, what they get from it, not the person. Now, we're thinking this, and it, and it can seem like a little abstract at this point, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how stupid were they? How ridiculous could they be to, to do the ark like this? But in reality, you and I do the same thing all the time. It's so easy as Christians to get into this mindset of magic that I'm talking about that comes from God. Here's what we think. Here's how we do it. The same way they do it here. We just don't have the ark. We think, when I can't do it on my own, when I'm, I'm, I'm desperate now, I've tried to do everything I can. Then I'm going to go to God. And then we think this. We think, if I just say enough prayers, if I just pray hard enough, or if I just work hard to get all this sin out of my life, then God will give me what I want. Here's another way to put it. It happens this way, too. If something goes wrong for us, then some well-meaning person, usually a, a Christian, well-meaning person starts thinking, well, what did you do wrong that put you in that predicament? Meaning, what sin did you commit that made God punish you in this way? See, this is what we're talking about here. A lot of Christians think about God as an equation, as formulaic. Like, I do this and I get this back. Like, it's some kind of magic. Or, I didn't do this, so of course God's going to punish me in that way. See, we all do that. We, 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 if we, and then we start thinking, if we just pray a certain way, or maybe I didn't pray a certain way, or we have certain routines that we do, or if I just go to church, then I get this back. If I do all the right things, then in some way we can change our hearts and mind. See, that's the same thing that we're seeing here with the Israelites, of treating God that way. But look at the uh, second part here. Let's start in verse 5 here in the uh, order of worship. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so the 
earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. And they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods. They're, they have a better memory than the Israelites do. Like, these are the gods who struck down the Egyptians in every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men of Philistines, lest you become slaves to these Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fall. And Israel was defeated. Even with the ark defeated and they fled every man to his house and there was a great slaughter you think it was bad before for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell and the ark of the covenant of God was captured and the two sons of Eli Ophni and Phinehas died right? well there you go so they're thinking uh, God's on our side let's just do it. let him do his magic thing See, this is a classical story of, of people doing everything right for a minute with the wrong motivation. See, God knows the heart. That's what he says in the Bible all the time. This is the problem with the Pharisees. It wasn't that they were doing wrong things. They were doing it with the right motivation. It's called hypocrisy. See, God knows the heart, and he judges the intention of our actions. You'll be asking, you, you may be thinking right now, James, are you actually saying that you can do all the right things and still be in the wrong? And I'm saying that's exactly what I'm saying. And God says the same thing in his word. See, this passage shows an important point about, point, point, important point about power and control. Not only are actions ineffective without God's personal preference, but God may deliberately plunge his people sometimes into pain and suffering and defeat in order to strip away our formulas and our routines for the greater good because God loves us enough to do that in our lives. I mean, look what happens here. This is a terrible defeat where it seems like God's name is being dishonored by losing to the Philistines. But in the midst of it, good is actually occurring. Because we know the rest of the story. God makes good, number one, on his word. That he's going to punish these evil leaders and get rid of this corruption that's been plaguing Israel for, for a while. And mainly in the two leaders, the sons of Eli. He blesses Israel, actually. What looks like the worst thing that can happen is a blessing in disguise by removing these evil and abusive leaders. But let's keep going. Let's look at number three, the departure of God's glory. So in verse 12 here, a man of Benjamin, by the way, Benjamin is just a tribe of Israel. Israel has a lot of different tribes. Benjamin is one of those. So a man of one of the tribes, Benjamin, ran from the bottom line and came to Shiloh, uh, Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dirt on his head, which is usually a sign of mourning or, or just severe uh, um, heartbreak, break, heartbreak. Verse 13, when he arrived, Eli, this is the priest that we talked about, Eli was sitting on the seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled at the Ark of the Covenant. And the man came to the city and told the news, and all the city cries out. When Israel hears the sound of all the outcry, he says, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried, and he came, and he told Eli. And Eli was 98 years old, 
and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? Then he brought the news, answered, and said, Israel has fled from the Philistines. There has been a great defeat among the people. And your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Verse 18, as soon as he mentioned the Ark of the Covenant, Eli fell backwards in his seat by the side gate, and his neck was broken. And he died, for the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Verse 19, then his daughter-in-law, wife of Phinehas, so he has a daughter-in-law here, was pregnant, about to give birth. She heard the news that the Ark of the God was captured. And then her father-in-law and her husband were dead. And she bowed and she gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And at the time of her death, she dies here. She's about to die. The women attending her said, Do not be afraid, for you have born a son. She did not answer. She didn't even pay attention. And then she named the child Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her son. So here we have this... this the most devastating tragedy of a story that you're probably ever going to read. But we saw it coming already. It was prophesied by Samuel through God. Or from God through Samuel. Eli's house and his sons were already given a death sentence. And of course it happened. And now the whole nation is defeated and left powerless. See, you remember in the story we talked about, uh, and the Bible is very... Uh, it's very important for us to notice what the Bible is saying about Eli. First of all, when it's saying Eli was blind, it's, a rep it's really just saying he's been blind for a long time. Now he's just physically blind. And that he actually, where do you think he gained all this weight? Because he was a, a morally obese person. Where do you think he gained all this weight? Remember the food that the, his kids were stealing from the sacrifices? He, is, he, is, he dies by his own weight. Of corruption here in the story. There's so much to the story. I mean, we can't go through it all. It's just unbelievable. See, at the beginning of the story that we talked about last week, Hannah couldn't have a child, yet she placed her hope in God, and He provided. Now, at the end of this section, we have a lady giving birth, which should be her happiest moment, to a family that took matters in their own hands. They had blasphemed God, and she has no life in her. And no hope when this child is born. No glory is there at this point. See, this should call us all deeper here. Has God ever stripped away some things or person or, or the thing that you love the most in order to remind you to depend on him rather than on that thing or on a person? One of my seminary professors told us one time that he hoped after the first day of class and he prayed that we would fail, and we would fail hard and quickly. Really, what kind of sadistic professor is that? Why did he say that? So that we would stop taking pride in ourselves and what we knew, and we would be forced to trust the goodness of God and Christ. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls this severe mercy. To protect you from creating a false idol, God may strip away your your power and your control in ways that you can't imagine. And it hurts and it's agonizing and it's painful for those that know that and you've never been through it. But it's so necessary 
for healing in a full relationship with him. We want all the benefits a lot of times from God, and we want none of the obligation of relationship and friendship. But God wants something better for us. See, here's the beautiful thing about the sermon today. God does delight in his using his people, but he didn't need Israel. Yet he returned to them later. God doesn't need you or me. That's the amazing thing about grace. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He keeps returning to us as, and, and reminds us of his presence. Every time we feel distance from God, he eventually is going to work in bringing us back and making us feel his warm embrace in that like a daddy to a child. At the end of the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, many of y'all know how it ends. Sorry, spoiler alert if you have not seen it. Um, that's your problem if you haven't seen it. Sorry, that's a great movie. Anyway, the ark is put in a storage box stashed away in this huge warehouse. And all the boxes are identical so that nobody can tell one from the other. That's what happens. Indiana Jones is furious because he said, all I want to do is not use the ark. I just wanted to study the ark. But see, he still doesn't get it. He hasn't learned his lesson that the ark is not a source of power or knowledge. It simply just represents the fullness of power and knowledge in the person of God. See, there's going to come a day in this story that we're reading in First and Second Samuel where Israel, like us, will learn that they don't need an ark. They don't need a sign from heaven. They don't need some aha moment that comes about through prayer. Because God will and always does dwell with those that really want a personal relationship. That's exactly what Jesus does for us. God sent his son. We don't need an ark. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the ark was made to be. See, when we have faith in him, the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart. Moral of the story today is this. This whole idea of the ark of the code calls us to, to know that we don't fall in love with religion. Don't fall in love with religion. Don't fall in love with the church. Don't fall in love with Christianity. Don't fall in love with Chelsea Press. We will fail you. You'll be disappointed every time. Fall in love with Jesus. He will not disappoint you. You don't need religion or some totem pole or a crystal ball or a magic prayer. You don't need it. I don't care if it is the prayer of Jabez. Don't trust in a formula when you have faith in the Holy Spirit. You have direct communication with God. He makes his word come alive to you. We don't need anything in between, and we have that every day, day to day, yet we don't take advantage of it. You want a lost art? Forget about the prize. Forget about the artifact. Forget about the magic. Put your faith in Jesus and receive the prize of what he has done. And that's the story that it's all always been about. So put your faith in God and the Father who provides and rests in his promises. You don't need anything else outside of that. Rest in that today. Let's pray. Father God, that's a lot of story to take in. Those are a lot of things uh, that, that just represent a lot of brokenness by humans, a lot of tragedy. Um, and we know how that feels. Uh, a lot of us have felt this suffering, felt these tragedies, felt death, all these things. But may we remember that all these things serve as a reminder of what we talked about in the Heidelberg Catechism today, that you're working all things out for our salvation, for our good as your children. You don't hate us. You love us, even when you allow us to suffer through these things. And when we do, and when we can't do it on our own, Lord, 
protect our hearts from building false idols, even if they are certain Bible verses that we think we can read and get knowledge instead of going to you for knowledge or, or, or just things that we put in our life that we use as lucky charms. Lord, help us not to go that route, but to pursue the person of who you are just like you pursue us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.